This week on the podcast, I chat to Susan Searle about the future of the clothing industry in South Africa. Amongst other things, we chat about the social disruption that has put so many retailers around the world under extreme financial pressure and is said to have an impact in South Africa in the near future. Welcome to the podcast, Heroes of Futurism, with me, Jonathan Cherry. This podcast is about the future and how to create it, what opportunities exist, what ideas are worth thinking about, and how you can begin to design the future that you want. Let's start right now. Um, what I thought we'd talk about today is something that I think is close to your heart because you're in the industry, and I'm quite interested to find out about it. Um, I want to talk about the future of the fashion industry, mm-hmm. um, clothing retail, clothing manufacture clothing design in South Africa. Um, Yeah, so I guess to start off with, rather than just looking at South Africa, I know I'm springing this on you, but I, you know, you look at it every single day. So I know that you're going to be able to answer this question. What is actually happening with clothing globally? Um, Okay, so you are springing that on me. So I think like, so many industries it's being taken by surprise in a way that I don't think it's prepared for the innovation I think innovation is added on as a marketing add-on and I think that like you know Airbnb and Uber have been disruptors in the um in the their spaces. Mm. Um, I think that the clothing industry just isn't actually sure what their disruptor mm. is just yet. So, so what kind of innovations? So I think, you know, immediately when you speak about the fashion, the future of fashion, and, and I see it so often when they speak about future of something, it's always about AI. Um, and I think why it's difficult for South Africa is the innovation, that tech innovation that's kind of being added on, like what Amazon is doing with its disruptions, even though it's had to close its stores, I think, because they're not profitable and they're gathering data at this point, data. That's the main reason of why they're doing what they're doing with their, with their pop-up stores. Um, everyone seems to go into this virtual reality space and, you know, putting on goggles and, you know, seeing these whole, you know, future stores. Mm. But I don't, I don't see that as being the near future in South Africa. And I would maybe extend that to other emerging nations. Mm. Um, I don't think that's where we are. I don't think that's Mm. our future for the next 10 years. So what are the innovations that are disrupting the industry globally? Well, I mean, it's sad to say, but the environmentally sustainable and transparency is are probably the biggest disruptors in terms of they are making uh, people wonder where are things made. They're making people, I think, you know, people, the nature of how people are shopping is so different. Before, everyone just wanted more quickly, you know, as soon as they can. Fashion came in, fashion went out. Mm. They had runways where you could order off the runway, you know, catwalk shows where you could order off the runway. Now there seems to be this slowness that's coming in, as well as I think new consumer behaviors, which are moving out of Gen X, that consumerism, mass consumerism, and even like the millennials are much more considered with what they're buying. And Gen X, are, Gen Z, sorry, are wanting complete 
uh, transparency. Mm. Um, they cannot be fooled. They cannot be greenwashed. Um, whereas I think Gen X is and can still be greenwashed. So that's quite interesting because what you're saying is that the industry is not facing disruption from other players within the industry. Absolutely, yeah. They're facing disruption from an awareness that the consumer now has around the value chain of how products are made. Mm. And so what you're saying is that they're either buying secondhand or keeping items longer or just mm. not buying at all. Mm. I saw um, Asda, which is a huge uh, value chain in the UK, has got a pop-up store. I'm sure everyone's read the article. They've got a pop-up store, which is secondhand. So people have donated clothing and you can now also pick up a secondhand blouse or, or dress at their pop-up store. So they're a huge uh, a mass retailer um, in in it's what the value retailers here will benchmark the Ackermans, the Jet, the you know these guys will benchmark themselves on Asda. It's a supermarket environment that also sells clothing. Their in-house brand is called George. So that's super interesting. Yeah. Then when I was in New York in April, Broadway, um, I was shopping on Broadway. So many stores had closed down and there were two new vintage stores on Broadway. Wow. I mean, that retail space was usually kept for really the kind of, you know, brands that could afford that, those rentals. So, so names taking strain, Barney's apparently going out of business. Yeah. Top Shop is closing most of their American. In the US, yeah. Uh, Victoria's Secret is struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many more. I mean, Names like Sears have been struggling for years, mm. J.C. Penney, mm-hmm. all of those, I guess, middle America type brands have been struggling for a long time. Mm. But the big names, as you say, mm. uh, in Manhattan, they're falling apart. So I think, you know, it's very, they're very informed customers that are being very aware of where things are coming from. The youth are aware of and want to know where things are coming from. Uh, whether it's computers, whether it's cell phones, whether it's clothing, there is still a huge market that needs good value and that value equation made up of price and quality. Um, that's not going to go away. And I don't, I think that you could probably survive for five years, but if you want to grow, you all have to have a, and not a marketing add on, not a greenwash, but an actual bottom up sustainable strategy that is the bare minimum of what people are expecting especially the younger so you can probably get away with it for another five to ten years but if you need to innovate now you know if you want to follow those uh uh, s curve uh, innovation curves and see where we at uh, now's the time to innovate to survive the next 10 years and grow not just survive because if you're just surviving what is the point so globally who are the names that are redesigning their businesses in order to do that So I don't think anyone is redesigning their business. I think people are trying to fit sustainable measures and innovation into their existing businesses, you know, and Zara has been hugely accused of greenwashing, adding sustainability into every single item by 2025. I mean, five years time, Mm. they could totally, you know, that, a company could fall apart in five years, Mm. can be dissolved. Not saying that they would. I'm just saying they have been hugely criticized as one of the biggest retailers of why can't they, you know, do it in a shorter time. I know why, you know, from being in the industry, it takes long times. They sign contracts with supplies. They've got fabrics booked. It's not that easy. They'll probably be able to shift a huge portion of the business. Um, 
but yeah, they have been really criticized. I don't know of, and I'm sure there are, and those that are listening to us, please send it to us, big retailers that have stripped down their business and redesigned it from the bottom up. Mm. I don't know of one. And smaller ones, so things that you would read in Monocle magazine, yeah. uh, are they even worth looking you at? You see, my thing, they are worth looking at, but my th- my point is, and I know you and I have a lot of conversations about this, um, is if it is so expensive, then it's not sustainable. Because, yes, it is sustainable, and I totally get it. So it's you have got, you know, organic cotton or BCI cotton, but it sits on a ship from, you know, India, and it has a carbon footprint in order to get you. You know, you can buy recycled poly. Should we even be, re- you know, recycling poly? Is there a flaw in the system that is requiring recycling? So there are lots of ways to go about it. If you're a Patagonia or, you know, there's so many of these brands that are able to be completely sustainably and ethically sourced, but then your price points are not ethical. So I don't know. I don't know how to solve it. (laughs) Okay, locally. What's happening locally? Do you think that that trend uh, of people being more aware and more conscious as to where their clothes come from and how they're manufactured, are you feeling that demand in South Africa? I'm feeling it for myself. So I am feeling that it's no longer ethical to produce garments that carry a true cost so no our our customer is not saying that to us um should we have to wait for our customer to say it and then have to pendulum swing i don't think so um i think that there is a huge opportunity for all retailers and brands to be sourcing sustainably um everyone is going to market it i think woolies is definitely ahead of everyone. And I know their previous MD, uh, Christo Klaassen, had put a sustainability uh, mandate and goal out there for 2020 that every single item, every single textile and piece of clothing would offer a sustainable message, whether it is FEC viscose, BCI cotton, um, or or recycled poly. So I think Woolworths is definitely ahead of the game. Are they still on track for that? I'm not sure. We need to check. Uh, what their sustainability journey is. I remember when I worked for them, uh, it was a non-negotiable and everyone was committed. It was a, uh, a KPI measure. So unless businesses are ingraining it in their systems and in their, uh, in the KPI measures, uh, you know, stock turn wins if stock turn is being measured. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess the challenge in South Africa is that you have an emerging middle class mm. who are, enjoying the idea that they now have the money to buy fashion Mm -hmm. and it's at the perfect time because not only have they got the money but fashion has come here yeah and it's fast fashion they're international brands so i suppose as someone who looks at trends i would assume then that it's going to be slow for the local markets Mm. to change Mm. just because the demand for fast fashion is still very Mm. much here in South Africa. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of consciousness or uh, almost protest action around the way that clothing is manufactured. I I don't hear that a lot in South Africa. No. Well, also I don't think people, people might not be aware of the, of the true cost of what it is costing. Um, 
I'm studying future studies at Stellenbosch, uh, that you are like, you support me through that and you've studied it before me. Um, and I've done assignments on, uh, plastic in the industry. You know, it's not, it is about the clothing, but it's also about everything else that goes into it. It's about uh, DC distribution centers. It's about plastic tape. I mean, some of the retailers, one of the retailers that I've, that I work with, um, they have, they no longer, you know, they, they recycle their hangers, which is a great initiative. You know, people I think aren't also looking at all the aspects of the industry mm. and they don't need to. I think that is the, the retailer and the suppliers, uh, the bare minimum that they could offer mm. to to people out there because you can't exploit a planet um, and the consumer pays twice. Yeah. But I think, as you said when we started having this chat, what happens is that even though there isn't necessarily that awareness in South Africa now, no. it could turn quickly. Absolutely. And no one uses straws. Mm, exactly. So I... I would say then that potentially the local industry will get disrupted by the exact same forces that globally have uh, shut down so many retailers, knowing that it's coming, mm. but I suppose just denying that <laughs> it it is coming quickly. Mm. And because no one actually knows when it's going to happen, there's no real urgency to change the system. Well, this is the thing, and I think it is uh, often what happens in emerging markets and, in, I mean, in emerging nations is we wait for the customer to tell us what she doesn't want. Um, and then we sit with stock and we have to mark it down. You know, why don't we just start showing her that we can, you know, give her what she didn't even know she wanted because mm. she will want it once she knows that she can have it. Yeah. Um, and I use the word she as a customer it's he she um i think also it's about a price war right so everyone is almost waiting for the other one to put on the innovation the sustainability knowing that the prices will go up and then they're going to catch the market share yeah. but i actually think it should be seen as the other way around rather be the one to innovate and see how we should only be growing sustainably grown cotton mm. right yeah but it's it's fascinating because from a business point of view, I I guess our local retailers are in a bit of a difficult situation because if you just look at where their um where the valuation of these companies were just three or four years ago as to where they are now, hmm. they've taken a huge knock. I think the Woolworth share price is down by at least 50%. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Price has taken a recent knock. Uh, all of the other guys are really taking strain because trading is uh, slow and the margins are tight. So in that space, I think it's almost a great place to innovate when you're forced, when, you know, the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain of changing. Mm. Your things are not working. So now what people are saying, well, if it is working, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Yeah. I would say now is the time when you can innovate because you're forced to, you're backed into a corner. So whilst you're changing, you might as well change as much as you can, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, people don't think like that. Whatever's sold, they want to cover those exact same sales the next mm. year. Um, so they edge on edge. And the thing with this crisis that we have, um, and I use the word crisis, is it doesn't require nudges. It requires massive disruption. Mm. 
Now, I want to talk quickly about something that I know is close to your heart. I want to talk about um, CMTs, clothing mm-hmm. manufacturer in Cape Town. The other day, I was at a studio in Salt River, and just driving to the studio, I drove past the Pels mm. old factory, the um, the old Queens Park mm. um, CMT. What is the future? I mean, this industry has absolutely been decimated mm. in the Western Cape. Do you think there is any hope for us to reignite that industry and put people back to work and to start, I guess, remanufacturing locally? If we are looking at sustainable models, do you think there's any hope that that could uh, be revived? I think when I hear the way you speak, I hear a nostalgia in your voice. And I can relate to that because I started working in the industry in the mid to late 90s and in the factories, you know. So there is something about the heartbeat of a factory and the heartbeat of a production line that a few of us just get so nostalgic about, you know, when I would go and visit the factories in Madagascar, Mauritius, and you walk down that production line, there's an energy that I don't think I found anywhere else in the world um, or doing anything else in the world. So I think that absolutely we can revolutionize it. I wouldn't by any means try and revive because I think that back in you know, the days when the industry was, uh, was alive and kicking and was, you know, in its, in its heyday, it was in its heyday for only a certain few. And a lot of people got really exploited. And there's a lot of reasons to blame for why the clothing industry did, uh, you know, crumble, uh, in South Africa and in Cape Town specifically, you were speaking about. Um, and I would, hope that we don't revive it, but that we rebuild it completely. Because I think that there's absolutely massive opportunity. I think there's a lot of machinery. There's government grants to be given for people that want to start small businesses. I would look at starting something where you could have maybe three to four very small operations, but in various areas to feed hubs. Uh, I would look at redesign of systems so that we can do away with big distribution centers and supply direct store, direct to store, uh, which is a lot of what some of the very successful retailers do overseas. So I think if you have got cajones and you got courage and you know how to fill out a lot of government forms to get some government grant money, um, I think that there is huge opportunity to be trading. I know Ethiopia is, you know, the government mandated uh, growth into the textile industry and they are up and they are cooking and China's moving into Ethiopia to, to start manufacturing, to, to feed Africa. Mm. So definitely I think there's huge opportunity, but I think we need to picture the industry differently. Mm. So then do you think retailers could buy those factories and have a direct route? In their value chain? Yeah, I think they could if they wanted to. I think, again, that's a whole different system design. I think these guys, you know, if someone were to come to me and say, I've got four very small operations, I can supply you with small things to test in stores. You know, I'm able to make your life very easy. This is how I can make this. I can make this, 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 this. As a buyer, that is amazing. Someone that's proactive around the corner can has got a small enough operation. Look, we need the guys that can create the big lines, but we actually really need the guys that can create the smaller lines. Let's test, you know, 
retails and having a bath at the moment. So, so what are some of the small things that we can react to? What are the things we can test? I think we need excitement and energy and passion. And if you can do that with a small operation, I think you, there's just, you're operating in a good space. Mm. Now you're one of the most creative most innovative people I know. So I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball oh on the podcast. Uh, if you were gifted a clothing factory today, mm-hmm. a small one, um, and I asked you what product do you think Scott. you could... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a product that you think that you could create which is unique enough, manufactured locally, that you could sell into an export market, be that direct to consumer or to a big retailer overseas, what product would you choose? Into export product, into export market. Hmm. Something that is not necessarily made to the knitwear. same quality. I would do knitwear. I would do knitwear into Europe because it's always cold there and they always need knitwear. I would do knitwear because you knit. Uh, you can fashion your knitwear pieces. So you, the amount of CMT required is minimal. I would do knitwear because I think you could knit amazing patterns. If you could get uh, the kinds of machines that can do Jacquard, Half Milano, you can do all those stitches. I think that, yeah, I think that is huge, great opportunity. And you can kind of create summer product for South Africa and winter product for Europe. Mm. In Europe, they wear knitwear all year round. And have we got the skills in this country to do that? machinery we don't have the machinery so we'd need to i would uh depending on how big my gift is because you you know this was a a gift Mm. and i mean is this really going to happen are you going to give it to me (laughs) are you testing am i so look under my seat well i mean i'm always looking for a shima (laughs) i'm always looking for opportunities to invest i would say yeah i would say knitwear for sure um we don't have the skill but it's a very technical skill, and it's something that I think it's difficult to learn creativity, but it's easier to learn technical ability. So I think if you can uh, pick up on that. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think with the recycling that's happening in terms of yarn, recycled yarn, I think there's amazing sustainability you could put onto it. So, yeah, I would mm. say that. Well, we definitely have the creativity in this country. Definitely. Like, that's not the problem. It is about, I suppose, as you say, teaching people the technicality mm. of it, but also that can be taught. That can, you know, that's not as As long as you're willing thing. to learn. Right. And the thing with knitwear is you make your fabric and then you make your garment. So it's not like you have to, yes, you need yarn. You need to import yarn. But um, knitwear, I think, is a huge opportunity in South Africa as well. Because mm. South Africans will pay money to keep warm. They'll pay money for knitwear, but they don't pay money for knit tops. Mm. Okay, so if you magically had a... Uh, the ear of some of the country's biggest retailers, mm-hmm. the the CEOs of some of the biggest country uh, mm-hmm. companies in South Africa, clothing companies, what would you say to them if they are looking five years into the future? I would, <laughs> I would tell them to lock their office door and go to the stores and engage with the customer because she will 100% tell you what she wants. The customer doesn't, they're not fake. They're not going to say they want one thing and then actually want another. The customer will literally tell you exactly what she wants. So just go and speak to her. Mm. How many people do that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a lot. I think um, 
It's not just clothing retail. I think many, um, the leadership of so many companies in South Africa, mm. they do spend a lot of time in mm. boardrooms and at their desk and very little time really speaking to people, mm. uh, you know, let alone their staff. They, they don't speak to customers. They don't try and find out what's, what's going on. Mm. Um, which is one of those soft skills that I guess they don't teach you in MBA class, but um, it's <laughs> it's a useful thing to do. Yeah, your customer will tell you every time. Mm. And I think, you know, um, I used to work at Truvis, and at the time the MD was Michael Mark. He is still the MD. And one of the most valuable things he ever said, or he didn't say it to me, he said it to the whole uh, building, and, and it was something that just always resonated with me. We used to go on competitive, competitor store and uh, store visits, uh, comp shops. And I, whenever we would go, you know, sometimes people would come back and say, Oh, this shop looks terrible or this shop's doing this and we look so much better. And he said, you always need to walk out of a store and take one thing that they are doing right. And if you can be humble enough, he didn't say this, but the way I internalized it was if I can be humble enough to see where someone is doing something right, then I can learn. Um, and that just might be where they're making market, where they're gaining market share, you mm-hmm. know, uh, where they're taking market share. So yeah, be humble to know that even if you're doing well, even if you're one of the retailers in South Africa, that's doing well, go and listen to what she wants. Mm. Okay. So final question. Mm-hmm. You said earlier that you are changing your habits when it comes to, um, fashion buying. Um, what are you how are you changing? What are you buying at the moment? Which brands are you gravitating towards? I'm trying to think. So on my recent trip to Copenhagen and before that Japan and before that New York, funnily enough, everything I bought was vintage. And I don't mean vintage like from the 40s or 50s, not vintage, just secondhand. Uh, So that is... Um, we've chatted about it before. I ha- get a real kick out of getting something secondhand that's I love. It doesn't have to be on trend. I'm happy to wear something that isn't a trend. I'm thrilled if it is a trend. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I get this kick. I know it's not for everyone. My younger sister absolutely hates shopping in a secondhand shop. Uh, but it is something that I love and I'm on eBay. I'm on Marketplace. Every day I'm on eBay or Marketplace looking at something else. We're going on a trip uh, at the end of the year, and I'm actually looking to clothe uh, clothes rental companies at the moment to see how can I rent clothing. So, you know, that's where I'm shopping, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, no specific shops other than just secondhand right now. And Uniqlo. Mm. I'm on Uniqlo's sites almost every day. <laughs> I absolutely love – not all of their clothing suits me, and not all of it – I wouldn't buy all of it, uh, but I really think they're onto a great, great recipe there mm. for their market. Yeah, and that's, um, I guess it's infectious because you would never catch me dead at Milner's and Market. But when we were in Japan, we were in Ragtag, <laughs> we were at uh, Second Street, and yeah. I also bought a whole lot of secondhand yeah. stuff there. So you've definitely convinced me mm. um, because I think you can find some, you know, you've got to search and I'm lucky enough to have you. You've got a trained eye. You can tell me what I should be looking at and what not. Um, but, their, but their shopping experience is great. Yeah. Very knowledgeable staff. Um, if you ask where anything is in a store where there is just unique items, they will know exactly where an item is. Mm. If you want Comme des Garçons or you want Levi's or whatever, you want jeans, 
um, they will take you exactly to it. So very knowledgeable. Um, they have a great Omni experience as well. And stores are clean, spotless. So there's enough seats for people to sit on. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that's our time for today. I found that really interesting. Thank you. We did actually speak about what we wanted to speak about yeah, today. First time ever. <laughs> I think we're getting better at this. Yeah. Okay. So because of that, you've got to subscribe. Um, what are we on? iTunes, Spotify, Spotify SoundCloud. SoundCloud. <laughs> All of that. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers.